Hey, I'm Natasha Crane. And I'm Elisa Childers. Welcome to Unshaken Faith, where we equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture. There's a new small group curriculum for churches available, and you're probably going to hear a lot about it this year because it's both very timely and it's being produced and promoted by some big Christian names. It's called The After Party, and according to its creators, it's designed to counter the quote-unquote dangerous trend of evangelicals having their political identity formed by partisan forces, not by true biblical faith. The curriculum was developed by David French, who's a New York Times columnist, Russell Moore, the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, and Curtis Chang. Now, fewer people are familiar with Chang than with French and Moore, but for context, one of his most notable projects was called Christians and the Vaccine, through which he led a national effort to convince COVID vaccine-resistant evangelicals that their, quote, anxiety, distrust of institutions, and political polarization was threatening the vaccine's potential for healing our world. Now, longtime listeners to our podcast may remember that we did an episode on our concerns about the after-party curriculum last March when it first was announced. The reason we're talking about our concerns again today is that it's now been released and it's getting high-profile promotion with churches and pastors nationwide. In fact, they're making it available for three for free through the 2024 election. Today, we're going to talk about some things that you should be aware of before your church considers rolling this out. Because we have a lot to say today, we're going to skip our normal tips of the week, but we do have a really exciting announcement before we dig in. Yes, and this is a big announcement because for the first time, we are letting you know when and where our two fall unshaken dates will be. So we're not able to reveal the churches that are hosting it yet. We'll have more on that soon in weeks to come, but we do want people to be able to save these dates, okay? Save September 21st. We're going to be in Buffalo, New York, September 21st, all right? And also save the date of November 16th. These are for our Texas people. We're going to be in Austin on November 16th. So again, that's September 21st, Buffalo, New York. November 16th, we'll be in Austin, Texas. So go to unshakenconference.com to look for updates and more information when tickets become available. All right. So whenever and Natasha and I evaluate something, we want to be sure that we characterize it accurately. And we want to do that, you know, before we share our critiques or concerns that we have. So with that in mind, we're going to start our discussion today by sharing David French's own words about the purposes of the curriculum. And he gave uh, these words on a recent Holy Post podcast. And we're going to put a link to that in the description for anybody who wants to listen to the full segment. French explained in this interview that the after party is a six-part small group curriculum focused on political engagement. He says he believes Christians have received formation on what to believe, but not enough emphasis on how to behave politically. He goes into great length in the interview to emphasize that he and his co-creators aren't telling anyone to be less political or less engaged, and also that they aren't going to tell you what to think or believe. It's all about engagement within what he calls is a Christ-like framework. 
So similarly, the After Party site says this about its purpose, quote, the project aims to reorient Christian thinking about politics on the person of Jesus Christ in an effort to heal political divisions in the church and cultivate key biblical virtues like humility, kindness, and hopefulness in Christian political engagement, end quote. So when you hear all this, it sounds like it could be anywhere from just kind of milk toast to potentially helpful. Now, why would we be concerned with a curriculum basically telling people we need to be nicer in political interactions? Well, there are several things that you should be aware of when you dig deeper into all of this. And so I'll bring the first thing. The first thing is that this is clearly not as neutral politically as they're trying to make it sound. So all three of the creators of this curriculum are very passionate and very vocal, what is called, quote unquote, never Trumpers. So they've been incredibly outspoken about their disdain for Christians who voted for Trump and, and frankly, just lumping everybody together as a one kind of um, monolithic group who voted for Trump. Now, ironically, they apparently don't think their own vocal tr critiques have been divisive in at least some way. In the Holy Post interview, Sky Jathani asks French if the curriculum's association with his name would help or hurt getting it out, out into the church. And French replied, the people and institutions within American Christendom who are sort of most dedicated to the Trumpist path not only would have no interest in this curriculum to begin with, they're going to double have no interest in it because I'm involved in it or Russell's involved with it. The people I would put in the category of unpersuadable, they would reject it anyway. They double reject it, end quote. So here he plays his hand on who he sees as the problem in the church. He implies that if you're a dedicated supporter of Trump or even somebody who might consider voting for Trump for whatever reason, you'd have no interest in Christ-like behavior and you're just unpersuadable. Now, I want to make this really clear because I know already just from some of the things I've just said, people are going to misunderstand what our purpose is here today. We are not here to promote or defend Trump in any way. I'm going to say that again. The purpose of this podcast is not to promote or defend Trump. But it's ridiculous to categorize those Christians who would support Trump in that way. It's, it's, it's just a ridiculous way to talk about them because there's such a spectrum of the way people think about how they're going to vote and maybe their attitude toward that voting. And so that's really more what we're talking about here. So later in the interview, they talk about why Christian sources aren't willing to fund this. And we're going to talk more on that in just a minute. But French's answer to this was fear. He says, when you take on MAGA, a lot of threats and intimidation follow. I'm surprised he actually was so clear because he sees the curriculum as taking on MAGA, which of course refers to Trump supporters. So just again, the point here is that this really isn't as neutral as they would like everyone to think. It, yes, it's, it's definitely not when you start digging into it. And like Elisa said, the, you know, it sounds kind of harmless or milk toast. I love this word. It sounds like it's no big deal. I mean, we're just trying to teach people to be nice. But then when you actually listen to them talk about and you start to hear the the words that they're putting in there and how they start bringing in MAGA and Trumpist, you start to realize that they really have a certain segment of the church in mind. The second thing, though, that you should know is that the after party is being funded by secular progressives. So Daily Wire reporter Megan Basham brought some really interesting information to light in a First Things article recently called 
called Follow the Money to the After Party. She pointed to some very telling research from a new book by Tim Alberta called The Kingdom, the Power, and the Glory on how the after party has been funded. Now, the Alberta book is all about how evangelicals have supposedly abandoned themselves to political idolatry, and I would completely disagree with that claim, but that's another subject. But Alberta did uncover something everyone should understand about this curriculum. When the creators of the after party couldn't find evangelical donors who were interested in funding it, they turned to secular progressive foundations. So Basham dug further into the details and found that in May 2022, Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors announced that the after party would be one of the 32 beneficiaries of their new pluralist project, which is investing $10 million to, quote, address divisive forces. Let me read to you from Basham's article what other interests she discovered that the Rockefeller Group has so you can see who is funding this. She says, quote, Rockefeller's interest in bankrolling Bible studies is a red flag. In the same grant round as the after party is a group seeking to promote the, quote, leadership of rural LGBTQ plus people. Another is committed to keeping the remaining fossil fuel resources in the ground in the name of climate justice. In 2019, the after party's benefactor gave $100 million to the Collaborative for Gender and Reproductive Equity, an initiative that funds efforts to safeguard abortion and ensure that youth have access to so-called gender-affirming care. A full accounting of all Rockefeller grantees committed to furthering hard left causes would require a book long enough to rival Alberta's, end quote. Again, that's from Megan Basham's article. Basham also points out that there are other progressive funders attached to the after party. One of them, called the One America Movement, has a board that includes the leader of an LGBTQ-affirming synagogue and a co-founder of Black Lives Matter of Greater New York. One America has received over $2 million from some of the most powerful foundations on the left. Now, to be fair, French addresses this in his Holy Post interview. He and Jathani brush off the concern people have about leftist funders by saying that we shouldn't hesitate to work with non-Christians who have similar concerns, in this case, for better non-divisive politics, apparently. So on the surface, that sounds okay, and in some contexts, we would agree. But in this context, Megan Basham states the concerns perfectly. As she put it, does anyone really believe these secular progressive grantmakers are interested in developing a church curriculum about politics without an eye toward affecting policy, or that this curriculum will strengthen evangelicals' commitment to the very causes progressives despise? I could not agree more with her questions. How naive do we have to be to think that these leftist foundations would be motivated to give all kinds of monies to a church curriculum when we know that those on the left despise that Christians are known for their conservative votes? They don't care if we're engaging in a Christ-like way. They realize that it's in their progressive interest to convince well-meaning Christians to be more concerned with how we engage than with the issues themselves. I mean, just think about it. Would secular progressives fund any sort of a curriculum that would be encouraging Christians to vote for biblical principles like the sanctity of life or biblical marriage? I mean, come on. This is like an almost insulting that they would yeah. try to brush off that concern. Well, the third concern that we have is that the creators are explicitly promoting the idea that pastors should gladly embrace the opportunity to move, move the bullseye of talking about anything political off themselves and into small groups. This is really important to understand what they're saying here. So in a clip 
being shared around Twitter slash X. I don't know what we call it these days. Is it just X now? <laughs> I guess it's I know. At what X. point will we get so cool and hip that we just say X without saying we Twitter? Also, say I don't X. know. Yeah. That'll be that'll be a transition point in the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it will. We'll, we'll see when we get there. Um, so Curtis Chang is giving a talk in which he shares that this should be a benefit of adopt of adopting the after party curriculum. He says this quote. If people get mad, they get mad at Curtis, Russell, and David. They get less mad at you. You can have plausible deniability, end quote. Okay, right? This this bothers me to my core because it's such bad ecclesiology. This is bad theology of church and how we should be doing church and what our church leaders and elders should be doing. They should not be seeking to have some sort of plausible deniability. That's, That's being a coward right? We want pastors and elders and church leaders who can speak with clarity to issues that are happening in culture. And, you know, something our friend Frank Turek says that I think is really important is a lot of pastors, a lot of Christians are afraid to talk about political issues. But the problem with that is that there are a lot of issues that are political today that weren't political 50 years ago. You know, for example, abortion was not a political issue 60 years ago. But then it it became a political issue. People made it a political issue. Well, just because it's become a political issue, should we stop talking about it? Well, of course not. Should pastors look for plausible deniability? Of course not. I mean, look at biblical marriage. This was not a political issue until it became a political issue. And I think when people, they may not be realizing they're doing this. It might be unintentional. But when you're saying we shouldn't talk about any political issues, really what you're saying is we need to let culture decide what's political and then we'll just shut up once it becomes political. And so I think what's really important about this point is that they're basically saying, you know, you can blame us. You can, you can say, well, I didn't know or something like that, but that's just cowardice. And I would really encourage any pastors listening to us to um, resist that idea and have the courage to speak with clarity about what's going on and not just want to punt to someone else. You know, it actually gave me chills when I saw that video of Curtis Chang speaking yeah. about this to an audience because I don't I don't know where he was speaking when this particular video was taken, but he was clearly on a stage and he's sitting there and he's talking to a large audience and he's actually kind of laughing about it when he says you can have plausible deniability. And then he said something like he called it like a classic pastor move, you know, say, oh, well, I don't agree with everything they say, but, you know, I thought it was worthwhile. He calls this a classic pastor move. That that shouldn't be a classic pastor move. Right. You know, it, it, you either agree with it and it's something that you think is valuable for shepherding your church or you disagree with it and you reject it. So the question is, is this a curriculum? Are these important principles and are they developed the, the right way that you want them in your church? Yeah, it's, but it's, it's chilling almost like giving something. pastors, it is chilling because it's like giving pastors language to manipulate their congregations. Right. And and that's so concerning because they are, because of the funding they've received, they are offering it for free through the election because they want to get this out to so many churches. They're really trying to get in the door through pastors because they're holding different events and trying to, to reach pastors in that way. And so they there might be a lot of well-meaning pastors who maybe haven't researched this that much. They might not understand what what it's all about, what's going on under the under all of this, like we're talking about today. And then they say, oh, well, you know, it's a free curriculum. We want people to engage in healthy ways. And so let's bring this in. And so it's it's very concerning to see them talk about it like that. There are a lot of concerns that we have about it. But the last one in the interest of time that we're going to talk about today is that it's doing neither the church nor our society any favors to convince Christians that we shouldn't be, quote unquote, partisan. 
Now, this is an objection to Christian political engagement that we hear all the time today. We shouldn't take sides. We shouldn't be known for being affiliated with one party or another. We shouldn't be partisan. You can see that this is the kind of thinking that they have on the original website of the after party, how it was worded on March 18th, 2023. And I captured this at the time that we had our last podcast, which is why I have it, but they've since reworked the site and they're not wording it the same now. I don't know if that was because of how we talked about it before, but here's what it said. And so this gives you insight into the mentality of behind what they're doing. Quote, the curriculum does the complex but absolutely necessary theological work of reframing Christian political identity from today's divisive partisan options. Whereas the partisan identity defines political engagement in the what of ideologies, policies, parties, and politicians, the after party redefines Christian politics around a biblical emphasis on the how of virtues like mercy, humility, and justice. In today's political environment, faithfulness to this biblical how of political engagement will shine as a radical alternative to both the right and the left, end quote. Oh, I have so much I could say about this. But while it's great to remind people that we should be merciful, humble, and just in our engagements, it's really disingenuous to claim that this is an alternative to what they call the right and the left. Right and left are different positions on issues. The so-called how of engagement is not an alternative to the position itself. It's just your approach to engaging with others on a position. For example, mercy, humility, and justice are not an alternative to a pro-choice or pro-life position. They just describe how to discuss whatever position you have with those who disagree. Now, just because I know that people kind of get start to get heated over this whole topic, I want to be really clear. Our identity must first and foremost be in Jesus. If someone is actually putting their identity in politics, and yes, you can find those people out there, that is to be condemned. That is not what we should be doing as Christians. First and foremost, we are Christ followers. Identity has to be formed in Jesus first. But when your identity is in Jesus first, you will follow his commands. And he identified the two greatest commandments as number one, love God, and number two, love others. So when we love God first, as Jesus commanded, that defines how we love others. No earthly political party is ever going to perfectly line up with biblical positions, for sure. But as Christians, we have to put clear biblical positions on the table and see where at any given time the bulk of them line up for any candidate or party. If there's a party, if, that consistently promotes what is opposed to what is good and promotes what is evil, we should not think it's problematic if Christians show, quote unquote, partisanship by collectively not supporting that party. In doing so, it doesn't mean that we're claiming any one party is a biblical party or that there's nothing good to be found even in a party that otherwise promotes plenty of evil. It just means there is sometimes a correlation between political sides and biblical values, and that is not a problem in and of itself that we need to warn the church about. That's exactly what the after-party curriculum is doing, and it's something that is really a cop-out from talking about the difficult controversial issues that Christians should be a light in culture as we talk about things like pro-life and advocating for the unborn. Yeah. And, you know, if if somebody says, oh, don't be a one issue voter, just apply that to imagine if slavery were still legal and there was one party that was advocating for the abolition of slavery and human trafficking and the other one was for it. Yes, that's I'm going to vote. I'm a one issue voter on that. And we have one of the greatest injustices in our 
culture right now, and that's the millions of lives that are lost to abortion each year. So yeah, if you want to accuse me of being a, a one issue voter, bring it. That's that's what I am, you know, because I'm going to stand against that evil. Absolutely. Right? And, so, and we and we we've been using that as the example in this episode, but there are lots of other issues that Christians yeah. should care about in terms of being light and advocating for righteousness for the common good, like all of the that's issues right. around youth and transgender surgeries and so called right. you know gender affirming care issues of religious liberty, uh, the the kind of Marxism that we're seeing put into schools in the name of equity, right? There, there's so many different issues. We're using, you know, the issue of abortion as our examples here, but it's not just that. There are a lot of issues that should be very clear from a biblical perspective. And if you follow Jesus, sometimes you take sides within the culture yeah. on things because you have first put your identity in Jesus. It is an outflowing yeah. of that. It doesn't mean you're replacing Jesus, but this is the straw man that keeps getting thrown out by people who just want to make it about, hey, don't be partisan. Don't care too much about pol politics. Political idolatry is somehow this giant problem in the church. This just continues to get thrown out over and over. Yeah, and I think something like this could be particularly attractive to Christians who want to distance themselves from the whole MAGA thing. And I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. I, I understand that. But at the same time, don't fall for the line that this is neutral. This is not something that's neutral. It's funded by secular progressives. And it, it has a very specific political outcome in mind. So this isn't necessarily the answer. If you find yourself in that space of just feeling a little bit politically homeless, you want to distance yourself from that, I get it. But this is not the answer. And I think this is something that so many people have been confused about because you have people like Russell Moore, Beth Moore, all these people kind of coming in this third way kind of idea. And we've talked about that third way on the podcast before, but, you know, don't necessarily fall for it. It's not neutral. And, um, we just hope that this has been helpful to anybody who's had questions about that sort of third way that seems to be emerging in the evangelical culture. Well, thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Natasha Crane podcast and the Elisa Childers podcast for more long form episodes where we go deeper into topics like these. But for now, let's remember that as Christians, we have a firm foundation to stand on. That as Psalm 62 puts it, is our rock and salvation, our fortress where we will never be shaken. Oh, 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 oh,